Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, the Emergencies Act inquiry continues to soldier along and par for the course. Some of the testimony has been downright jaw-dropping, such as the information regarding the Ottawa Police Service hiring a crisis management firm, Navigator Limited, for help. Help for what? To bolster their public image? Yikes! Hey OPS, how about carrying out proper policing instead of acting like modern-day Keystone cops? That might make for a PR solution. Rebel News Chief Reporter Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the details. And stateside, the much-anticipated red wave did not materialize on Tuesday, as so many predicted. So what went wrong? Our Seattle-based reporter Katie Davis-Court will offer her analysis, and she will also speak about her undercover report in which a supposedly nonpartisan organization in Kent, Washington, was bribing members of the Hispanic community with free tamales and backpacks, the quid pro quo being, wouldn't it be jolly if you folks, uh, you know, voted Democrat? Ay caramba! And letters, we get your letters, we get your letters every minute of every day, and you had plenty to say about those striking education workers who descended upon Queen's Park last Friday. Question, why are so many education workers so angry and vulgar and completely unable to articulate their position? They are education workers, right? Or maybe they really need to go back to school. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. Do you know who or what Navigator is? If you've been paying attention to politicians in trouble in Canada for the better part of the last decade, then you've been exposed to some of Navigator's messaging, sometimes, however, unwittingly. If you're a politician or a bureaucrat or a politically connected person in this country and you get into some sort of public relations catastrophe, you call in Navigator, the well-connected crisis communications firm. Now, in Ottawa... The police service in the city did exactly that last winter when the Convoy for Freedom rolled into town to protest vaccine mandates and other COVID mandates. Those demonstrations, albeit annoying for some but still peaceful, went on for nearly four weeks. That is, until Justin Trudeau hit the nuclear button of the Emergencies Act and never before used counterterrorism law on peaceful anti-regime demonstrators like he was some sort of Iranian mullah with especially delicate feelings. Trudeau pulled the old Ahmadinejad on the most effective political opposition he's ever faced in seven years. It was a reputational national emergency for Justin Trudeau, but really nothing more. Anyway, as chaos unfolded and the Ottawa City Police were engaged in internal power struggles and palace intrigue at the top when they were mishandling Nearly every piece of operational intelligence that came their way from the RCMP and the Ontario Provincial Police as the convoy rolled across the country toward Ottawa, the Ottawa City cops became increasingly less worried about actual policing and more worried about their reputations. So, 
They called in the slippery eels at Navigator to the tune of $185,000 for allegedly 384 and a half hours of work. We know this because right now the Public Order Emergency Commission is unfolding in Ottawa to examine Trudeau's actions in invoking the Emergencies Act. And documents are being entered into evidence. You can see and support our independent coverage at truckercommission.com. What do we need to do more? More arrests, tickets, use of force, then what? Go to the politicians, go into big lockdown mode, massive show of police presence, and then hold hands and come together, or two, bigger lockdown of city for weekend. And then you'll see Aaron at the bottom. Aaron is from Navigator or ASI? ASI, sir. Um, Job is to keep the peace and keep people protected. When you take a hard line, citizens of Ottawa want this, but not everyone. Need to acknowledge not everyone uh, represents or resonates as fringe group. This is a national problem, and Prime Minister needs to get us out of it. Now, we know from other documents that Navigator was deeply involved in the grotesque and evil strategy to threaten parents within the convoy with seizure of their children by social services agencies. I take it, uh, sir, that you are aware of the February 8th, 2022 media briefing that the Ontario Police Service gave where it was said to the media and in the public that OPS had concerns for the children of the protesters in Ottawa and OPS wanted to discuss enforcement uh, with the Child Aid Society of Ontario. You're aware that happened? So um, you said the Ontario Police Service. I, I believe you mean the Ottawa, Ottawa Police, Police Service. Service yes. um, it, it, do you have a document we can reference with that media release, or is that a clip? It's a clip. Uh, so I do, I do recall, I don't specifically um, recall references to enforcement did I but I do specifically recall the discussion around our concerns with children in the footprint particularly as uh, the, the situation there was becoming more volatile and now through documents again being presented to the Commission that apparently only a handful of journalists like me are reading I can tell you that part of the work navigator was doing for the city of Ottawa and the Ottawa Police Service was identifying sympathetic Trudeau colonized journalists who hated the convoy as much as the mayor Jim Watson did. I'll show you right here in black and white. It starts on page eight. We can see that Navigator started a supportive stakeholder list of people who were not supportive of freedom, but rather of busting heads in the convoy. <laughs> not supportive of free speech or free assembly or free expression. Amazing. The more we learn about the inner workings of the Ottawa Police Service, the more this law enforcement agency comes across as a real-life modern version of the Keystone Cops. But instead of improving their egregious policing, their strategy was to hire a politically connected crisis communications firm in order to help bolster the public image of the OPS. And the plan was to employ the useful idiots in the mainstream media to achieve this PR goal? Wow. For some reason, the phrase putting lipstick on a pig springs to mind. Oh, and check out the cost of that PR exercise. The OPS paid Navigator Limited almost $180,000 
for less than 400 hours worth of work. As always, folks, your tax dollars hard at work. And joining me now for more on this jaw-dropping slice of testimony at the Emergencies Act inquiry in Ottawa is our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing there, Sheila? David, I'm doing great. And unfortunately, this wasn't actually testimony. It's just paperwork that ends up as evidence. And there's a handful of people in the country who are going through it. I'm one. I think Andrew Lawton at True North is one. And of course, our friends at Blacklocks, they're doing the same. These documents are really a treasure trove of what happens behind the scenes um, in police services and with politicians. You get to see the things that they say in quiet yes. that they think the world is never going to hear. It's one of the reasons I like access to information. But this is these are things that I think that these people never thought would see the light of day. And I'm able to go through it and see all of their, you know, opinions and things they probably should have kept to themselves and not put in writing yes. for other people to see is very, very interesting. You know, Sheila, thank you for the clarification, because really an inquiry it's kind of like an iceberg, isn't it? That, you know, 10% of the iceberg is visible, but 90% is underwater. And these were just documents uh, that there's a mountain of them that don't even make the light of day in terms of uh, oral testimony. But nevertheless, I think this is stunning stuff, uh, Sheila. In fact, I don't think I can ever recall a police force hiring a PR firm to bolster its image via friendly journalists. Now, call me a crank, Sheila, but shouldn't a law enforcement agency be more concerned with, oh, you know what, carrying out good and proper law enforcement as opposed to fretting about its public image? Yeah, this is the Ottawa Police Service, so <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if that was even remotely on their radar. As the convoy rolled across the country, they were ignoring or just failing to look at intelligence reports that were coming in to them from the RCMP and the OPP. They had those intelligence reports, although the plan to deal with the convoy, they admit, was not built around these intelligence reports. And the public started to notice and chaos ensued on the streets it seemed like there was no real plan to deal with the convoy the convoy seemed far more organized than the ottawa police service there was all kinds of backdoor dealings and palace intrigue within the ottawa police service where at one point the two deputy chiefs were sort of kneecapping P chief peter slowly and appointing <clears throat> people and doing things behind his back <laughs> and they hired crisis communications firm, the slippery eels of Navigator. They're very well connected politically. And they started doing reputational audits on the police service. And then they realized what we all know, but it was very interesting to see it in writing, that the Trudeau polluted mainstream media are just full of, as you rightly put it, a bunch of absolute useful idiots. Mm -hmm. And they started going about the business of, as they say, identifying journalist targets <laughs> that were friendly. And they were also identifying friendly stakeholders, friendly politicians, but politicians will be politicians. That's just politics. The journalists are supposed to hold the politicians to account, but Navigator realized 
there are helpful journalists to our cause out there and we better start leaking them information. And whilst I was reading these documents, I thought <laughs> there's a bunch of journalists out there who are thinking, I'm so smart. I'm so good. I'm so trusted. I got this big fat scoop, but you didn't get a big fat scoop because you were a good journalist. <laughs> you got a big fat scoop because you're a terrible journalist and Navigator identified you as such. Yeah, as I think in skeptical. Yeah, I think in boxing, uh, Sheila, they call that rope-a-dope. Uh, but you know what? Yeah. Before we get into Navigator and what they're all about, I want to go back to something you said, and it's very important. The Ottawa Police Service ignored yeah. intelligence reports by the OPP and the RCMP. Now, the question begs, why did they ignore those reports? Maybe they thought those reports were not credible. Here's what I'm going to propose to you, Sheila. If I was the chief at the Ottawa Police Service, what I would do, because clearly there is a huge convoy headed to Ottawa, I send yeah. an officer to go undercover, embed him in the convoy, and get my intelligence directly from that person. But I guess, is, is that too much of an out-of-the-box out of policing uh, uh, suggestion, uh, Sheila, when it comes to the OPS? That's not an out-of-the-box policing suggestion. It's literally what CSIS did. And CSIS was also giving <laughs> their reports to the OPS. And again, the OPS was ignoring them. But it was political moving behind the scenes. And what, besides the fact that the journalists were played for fools here, which brings me a little bit of joy, um, but one of the most stunning parts in all of this is that you can see the police are clearly political and they're not supposed to be political in Canada that's why we don't have elected police chiefs they're supposed to apply the law to you whether you're left or right equally justice is supposed to be blind in this country and uh, there's no means by which to hold a political police chief accountable the way you can in the United States through elections these cops were behind the scenes stabbing each other in the back, cutting each other off at the knees, and you can see it in their emails. The person, the cop who took the place of the police chief who lost control of everything, Peter Slowly, was Steve Bell. And yeah. guess who was in charge of the intel and passing it up the supply chain? Steve Bell. You want to talk about sabotage, I don't know if it's me being a conspiracy theorist or not, but the guy in charge of accepting the intel and drafting a plan around the intel wasn't feeding it up to the cop who needed it, and then he takes the place of the cop who lost control of everything because of a lack of intel. It's crazy stuff, but at the end of the day, ineptitude yeah. and political policing does not justify the invocation of a never-before-used counterterrorism law on peaceful protesters causing a traffic snarl in the nation's capital. And, and Sheila, we would be remiss if we don't again mention that this is the same Steve Bell that uh, the Sunday press conference the OPS held, that was the day after uh, Alexa was shot by that canister. Uh, and that made, that was a viral news item. It ran around the world. In fact, just an hour before the press conference, Alexa was getting interviewed uh, by Russian television, if you can imagine. And we went there and I asked uh, Acting Chief Bell uh, about what, what the status of the investigation is with uh, Alexa Lavoie being shot. And he said, 
he was not aware of it. There's only two possibilities. This is really one hell of an ignorant law enforcement uh, officer, Sheila, or he was lying through his teeth because this was going around the world. What was your take on that answer? He's an absolute liar, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> okay. um, uh, first of all, we have filed for access to information for police records uh, and police communications during the time of the convoy. They say they can't release them to us until after the commission wraps up. And I think that means after Judge Justice Rollo makes his ruling. And the reason they're doing that is because they don't want us to fact check them in real time. And I can tell you that Navigator was not the only crisis communications firm working for the city of Ottawa and the Ottawa police. And one of those firms, which I'm doing a story on it today, and I'm so glad you reminded me of um, his uh, Chief Bell's, inter sorry, interim former police chief Bell. <laughs> I want to be clear there. He's no longer the, the interim chief. His ignorance, his feigned ignorance about what happened to Alexa. One of these crisis communications firms, one of their only jobs was to monitor social media for police reputational blowback. And I have the documents on one of these audits where it's police, like the public's response on social media to the police is negative. They were monitoring the responses to every police tweet. And so for them to say that this story that was so huge around the world, they didn't have a clue about, <laughs> absolutely, utterly unbelievable. And if they really didn't have a clue about it, it's a wonder. Did any crime ever get solved in Ottawa because those cops are useless? It's, it's absolutely incredible. And let's talk a little bit about who Navigator is. And before we do, Sheila, I want to throw to a clip. It was from a monologue I did a few years ago when one of the principals of Navigator, she went on a talk radio tour um, crying that she was a victim of uh, a, a form of sexual assault what was the incident? She thought when she was crossing the street, a construction worker might have looked at her. I she wish. thought. <laughs> Check it out, folks. Amanda, who likens herself to animated princesses on her Twitter feed, is walking down Richmond Street in broad daylight, I tell you. And she was brutally sexually assaulted. And Amanda, being a communications professional, she tweeted about it, about how Toronto the good became Toronto the terrible. Here goes, quote, I just walked through around a dozen men lining the sidewalk at 85 Richmond Street. They didn't say a word, but they openly leered at me. I felt so uncomfortable. I did not make eye contact. I don't know who runs this site. See photo. But this is not okay, end quote. How can this be? Those men, they leered at precious Amanda, moon of my life, my sun, my stars, my Khaleesi. Oh, what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Oh, the toxic masculinity of it all. Look at them, just looking at her. Damn it, 
No Gillette shavers for those insensitive sons of bitches. So there you go, uh, Sheila. First of all, if you if the construction workers are behind you, unless you have eyes in the back of the, your head, how do you know they're looking at you? And of course, you know, she made the media rounds and the construction company said, we're going to get to the bottom of this and have these uh, workers undergo sensitivity training. I mean, what in blue hell? So not only are these... Uh, is this company sucking from the taxpayer uh, teat? They seem to be comprised of so many snowflakes as well. What is your take on Navigator, Sheila? First of all, I'm a woman of a certain vintage. If a construction worker hoots and hollers at me, it's a good day. But, um, <laughs> but Navigator is so politically connected that there came a time in Alberta that they were the recipients of so many sole source contracts for crisis communications under the Redford PCs that when Jim Prentice took control of the party, he banned them from being um, <laughs> able to get any more crisis communications contracts, particularly sole sourced ones. These guys have, if you are a politician or public servant and you get yourself into some sort of real scandal, you hire Navigator to run your communications and sometimes even do a hatchet job on your critics. Um, and you can tell through their social media monitoring. But also, I should point out, one of the most egregious things that happened during the convoy, it was an announcement from uh, Steve Bell, interim former police chief, Steve Bell. He announced that the parents in the convoy, if they had their children with them, uh, children's aid society, social services in the rest of the country, they would be moving in to seize those kids. Now, yes. children's aid society said, we don't know anything about that. The police have not engaged us on this. We, this is not something that we would do. Um, and as it turns out, that was a communications tactic from navigator to use the children of good oh. parents against them. And it's so egregious because many of those parents, if you had asked them and we did, the reason they were there was for their children's futures. And to call them bad parents because they stood against the Justin Trudeau regime, that was a navigator communications strategy. It was a talking point that Steve Bell ran with in a press conference. Absolutely shameful and egregious to the max, Sheila. And you know, it, it seems to me, and this is the latest example, Sheila, that Ottawa seems to be a special kind of place where institutions are more concerned about their image to the public rather than yeah, doing something uh, based on merit. And I go back to, remember in 2017, Canada's sesquicentennial, th there was that project for a hockey rink on Parliament Hill. It cost millions of dollars, yeah. uh, went over budget. It was only temporary. Uh, there was no reason for it, Sheila. And I'll never forget, in some of the um, reams of FOI da data that you obtained, there was this remark by one bureaucrat to another in an email thread that, hey, I just noticed for the, um, the end boards, we don't have any netting uh, there in case there's an errant puck <laughs> that gets shot out. Yeah. And do you remember, uh, and this is a true story, it's a tragic story. Uh, there was, um, you, you recall in Columbus at a Blue Jackets game, um, a 15-year-old girl was killed by an errant slap shot. And basically, the conclusion was that would be a bad look 
for us if a kid got killed. No, not the kid dying. They're not concerned about the kid dying. They're concerned right. about the optics of, of the bureaucrats behind this hockey rink. And and this is what I liken to with, with the Ottawa Police Force uh, hiring navigator, Sheila. Again, let's just create some false positive narrative as opposed to doing a good job to begin with. You know, it's all about optics in Ottawa. And again, from the outside looking in, I avoid Ottawa like the plague. So <laughs> just take this as just my anecdotal um, experience from watching the convoy and watching the testimony of the locals and um, the other busybodies in and around the uh, bureaucratic capital of this country. Uh, they don't they really are concerned about optics. It's one of the reasons they didn't want all those yucky blue collar trucks mucking up their downtown <laughs> core, right? Like they, they, they didn't, they thought it was uh, an eyesore. And I see that turn up in documents over and over again. This is an eyesore. This is an eyesore. Instead of this is the single largest human rights protest in Canadian history, which it was. The people in Ottawa thought it was, you know, yucky, a little bit blue collar. They're a little rough around the edges. They might even be playing country music and barbecuing things. My Lord. Um, but they didn't see the convoy for what it was because they only care about um, appearances. Unbelievable. And one last question, Sheila, because it was in the news cycle uh, and fastly fading out of it. As you know, last Friday, the Doug Ford Ontario PCs invoked the notwithstanding clause to make the QP education workers strike an illegal one within the space of 72 hours uh, on Monday morning. Um, Premier Ford uh, revoked uh, the notwithstanding clause. And it was I, I found it fascinating because when uh, Lincoln Jay and I went to Queen's Park and spoke to uh, those teachers who would speak to us as opposed to flipping as the bird and dropping F-bombs, um, I, I was saying, uh, is it an overreach to have the notwithstanding clause? Oh, absolutely. It's an attack on democracy. It's an attack on workers' rights. Was it an overreach in February when uh, Justin Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act against peaceful protesters? Oh, well, uh, that's apples and oranges, you understand. <laughs> the hypocrisy is off the charts. What was? What's your take on the double standard, at least when it comes to the uh, rank and file of CUPE? Not even the rank and file of CUPE. Let's talk about the rank and file of the Liberal cabinet. We've got the likes of um, Seamus O'Regan in the running for one of the dumbest MPs in Ottawa, <laughs> and the bar is really low. Um, he's out there blabbering on about human rights and, and the right to protest. And I'm thinking, didn't you people just invoke a wartime law? <laughs> on peaceful protesters in the nation's capital. And then the hypocrisy of QP. I saw a sign, which I thought was kind of funny. It, they were, it was the QP protesters and the sign said like, uh, honk if you support public education. <laughs> I'm reliably informed. Those people think honking is a war crime. I'm like, so it's, it's fine if you honk, not a war crime. But if right wingers honk for freedom, war crime. I, Sheila, that is spectacular because isn't there um, one liberal MP? Uh, she mentioned that honk honk is code for Heil Hitler. <laughs> yeah, that's Ezra's MP, by the way, unfortunately oh, no. for him. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I'll tell you what, uh, judging by the amount of honking I hear on the Gardner Expressway and the D Don Valley Parkway, it would seem that Toronto is infested with Nazis. <laughs> I don't know how else to do it. <laughs> 
make sense of it. Sheila, uh, wonderful commentary, as always, my friend. And uh, before we wrap things up, was there any other piece of testimony this past week uh, that stood out for you as a spocky and eyebrow-raising moment? Yeah, I think it was the mayor of Coots, Alberta. He was called to testify. And, you know, you don't get elected in Coots, Alberta, uh, unless you have some sort of conservative leanings, it's a village of less than 300. And he, in text messages with, I think, a CBC reporter, because his text messages ended up in evidence. Again, I love it when these people write down <laughs> things they probably should have just said. Um, <laughs> but he said the people blocking the border at Coots were domestic terrorists, is what he said when he was speaking what? to the CBC. Um, but then when, you know, he's giving his testimony, he said 70% of his town in his own experience supported the convoy. Now that's not a whole lot of people, you know, it's, he's only got a town of less than 300, but you're the mayor of a town that supports domestic terrorists. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was just, I looked at him and I thought if you were the mayor of a town that supported homegrown Al-Qaeda to the tune of 70%, wouldn't you resign if you really believed that? Or was that just something you said to be liked by the CBC so that they didn't come down hard on you in their article? Or, Sheila, the mayor can choose what's behind door number three, which is to pick up the phone to a certain uh, crisis communications firm based on based in King Street in Toronto and uh, get some rebranding done for him, given that he's going against 70 percent of his constituents. Uh, hopefully, Amanda Galbraith is no longer in the fetal position after imagining construction workers were leering at her. <laughs> Sheila, Those cowboys will leer at her. No problem. You want to feel good about yourself? Go to Coots. <laughs> Sheila. Great peace, and you have a uh, happy weekend, my friend. You too, David. Thanks a lot. Okay, then. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed, the chief reporter at Rebel News, somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Katie Davis Court reporting for Rebel News. Just ahead of the United States midterm elections, King County elections promoted an event that bribed the Hispanic community with free tamales and special gifts to teach them how to fill out their ballots. Now the event that they promoted was being hosted by Washington Environmental Council, a progressive nonprofit activist organization that aims to eliminate fossil fuels and heavily promote democratic legislation and policies. Now, since King County elections is supposed to be fair and non-biased, I searched their accounts to see if they had promoted any conservative events and came up short. Now my investigation will most likely make a lot of conservative voters and candidates angry and rightfully so. So take a look to see what happened. I walked into the Mill Creek room at Kent Commons where a small group of people were gathered. They were eating tamales and discussing midterms. It wasn't a large turnout, which was most likely due to the severe storms that we have been having in the area. After I was bribed with free tamales and was entered into the special giveaway, I walked over to the table they had set up where you could check your voter registration and even print out your ballot. On the table were two voting guides. The first guide was for candidates 
endorsed by Washington Environmental Council, while the second guide consisted of a list of progressive candidates. But there were no guide for conservative candidates or their policies. After I was offered, or should I say bribed, with free tamales, in walked a woman that I knew named Michelle Lee, who runs a conservative organization called Washingtonians for Change, who also came to infiltrate the event. Michelle and her friend both brought their ballots with them, and we all sat down with one member of the organization who guided us through the ballot and the candidates. I work for... Washington Environmental Council. While he didn't mark our ballots for us, he told us which candidates he voted for, why he voted for them, and when Michelle and her friend pressed on conservative candidates and their issues, he had zero knowledge and used rhetoric that could easily persuade an ill-informed or first-time voter away from the issues that they care about. Did you vote Pramila? Mm, I'm not in her... Oh, you're not interested. Okay. So. I would if I were there. It's a stretch to say that I support her, but I would prefer her over Clifton. You so should vote for Patty. Basically, like pro gun control, pro union, and pro choice. And Tiffany Smiley is basically running on like my perspective on the Republicans running on crime is like because she is running on it. Like Tiffany Smiley, she's like, oh, crime's getting so bad in Seattle. It's like you never come to Seattle. Whatever. Um, I'm not really seeing, I'm not hearing like solutions, you know what I mean? Okay. if, If I'm hearing that, and they talk a lot about the border, to me, what border are you talking about? So all she talks about is the U.S. border with Mexico, and I'm like, we're in Washington State, so I'm not hearing, so Tiffany Smiley is basically running on what you're saying, she's like running on crime. And she is hearing that people are concerned about it, but I'm not hearing any solutions. I thus far have not heard solutions. Is there anything you like about Tiffany Smiley? Is there anything I like about her? Yeah. I'm pulling up her agenda to see. I'm glad you're going through all this. Uh, okay, so here's the thing is sometimes she says things that are good, but then there's no detail, which makes me concerned, which goes for a lot of politicians. Right? Okay. So, like, reducing wasteful spending that cause inflation. I'm like, okay, but then I don't see any detail. So I don't know. Um, okay, here's one. I would support bipartisan legislation that gives parents the options to advance child tax credit payments to help families after the birth or adoption of a new child. Okay. So that's a solution, right? That's yeah. A solution. So, but it's both the Republicans and the Democrats are for so, oh, okay. So it's just they're both for is actually what I'm reading. She mentions uh, closing the border and the, the border the, with you, the Mexicans, right? But that's where most of the criminal activity is coming into the country. Yes, there's a Canadian border. I'm more liberal than Joe Biden. The people coming across. That's illegal immigration. That's what you got to be very careful. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, something that is not going to be addressed. Yeah, again, like, yeah, show me the evidence that what she's saying works. Actually, support, right? So I personally support. Which one are you supporting? 
Well, the idea that we should have a tax on aircraft, I personally support. So what are your thoughts on King County Elections promoting this event? Well, first of all, they have no business promoting this event because, you know, it's nonpartisan. If they're going to do something, they should be on, have representative from both sides. But clearly what I found tonight was it's very one-sided. Um, all the questions, all the candidates that we brought up were um, leaning towards the liberal Democrats. You just have to wonder why King County Elections would ever promote this event. It is blatantly biased. And if they're promoting a Democrat organization's event, they should also be promoting a Republican's. But I think that most would agree that they just should not promote either side and stick to fair and secure elections. So, folks, how do you like those tamales? Perhaps Kent, Washington makes for an isolated example of why there was no red tidal wave in the U.S. midterm elections on Tuesday, which is to say perhaps one of the reasons that wave failed to materialize is due to the amount of leftist indoctrination out there. Most of the mainstream media in the United States serve as useful idiots for the Biden administration, ditto for Hollywood. And then we have organizations such as King County Elections, which is supposed to be nonpartisan, but clearly is not. Not when it takes part in an event in which members of the Hispanic community are bribed with free tamales and gifts. And what was the ostensible policy reason? To teach Hispanics how to fill out their ballots? How bloody condescending is that? And talk about the fix being in. The fact that this event was hosted by the Washington Environmental Council, a left-wing nonprofit activist organization that seeks environmental and racial justice through the elimination of fossil fuels. Oh, I'm sure achieving that goal would help so many Americans who are already dealing with hyperinflation. Unbelievable. And joining me now for more on this story and her analysis of Tuesday's midterm election results is our Seattle-based reporter, and that would be Katie Davis-Cord. How you doing there, Katie? I'm doing great, David. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Now, Katie, before we get into the red wave that wasn't, your visit to that event was most revealing as the spokeswoman for Washington's For Change uh, remarked. King County Elections was offside in promoting this event. So since you caught them red-handed on camera, will there be any repercussions for the folks at King County Elections? You are absolutely correct. And I hope that there are some repercussions because King County Elections is supposed to be fair and neutral. And they were engaging in uh, a by an in a bipartisan event. They are, or nonpartisan, I'm sorry. They are actively stooping to new lows by promoting a radical left-wing organization's event. They are not just a Democrat. They are progressive and they are the typical Seattle organization seeking to indoctrinate and take over with their progressive agendas that have destroyed our entire state. And so the fact that King County Elections would promote this event and people in Washington state, not, not just across the country, but in Washington state, they do not think that, we have fair elections and Washington state has all mail-in ballots. We are, we are the main model for mail-in ballots. Biden's secretary of state that he chose came from Washington state. And ever since we have had mail-in ballots, not a single Republican has been elected as governor or as uh, in Seattle's Seattle council, King, King council. And so 
they are, they promoted this event that Bride Hispanics. And when I saw them pr promoting that, I've been basically what I do during elections. I see if anything is unusual, if there's going to be any nonpartisanship. And so I was scrolling their Facebook page and I saw them promoting this graphic. And I go, whoa, this is way wrong that Kingpin Elections is promoting this. And so I kept searching to see if that if they were promoting any conservative organizations events. And I came up short, didn't find that. So I said, I have to go investigate. And when I walked in, I you guys paid the video, but when I walked in, they were not, there were not that many Hispanics there. And we've been having severe storms. So I think that that deterred a lot of people. But also Hispanics, this time around, uh, midterm elections, a lot of them have actually voted alongside the Republicans because the Hispanic community, they're all about faith, family values, and they the Democrat Party does not represent that now. So I went in to investigate. I was offered free tamales. I was entered into the special giveaway, which I ended up winning, and I was trying so hard not to laugh when I when they announced my name that I won. But <laughs> and Michelle Lee, like you mentioned, she came in with her ballot, and I had my camera rolling, and a representative of Washington Environmental Council was slamming Republican candidates while uh, going through the ballots and having Michelle fill it up. And I was just sitting there shocked how King King Elections would ever promote an event like this when there's representatives saying who they voted for, why they voted for them, but also tarnishing the names of Republican candidates as they were filling their ballots. And if you were Hispanic, because they, they made it seem like, oh, we're going to try to um, indoctrinate the Hispanic community by doing this event. So we'll just, if you're an ill-informed voter or a first-time voter and we're sitting with this representative, you could be easily persuaded into thinking that these Republican candidates were were bad and their policies were bad because of what he was saying. And it is just disgusting that King County promoted this event. I don't think that there will be an investigation. I mean, the, the Republican Party here, Republican lawmakers, they have gone after King County elections before. And it is just so corrupted that this state, it, it's it's pretty lost. I, I'm a positive person, so I remain, I'm remaining on hope. But there was no, this midterm election, it was, I was expecting, I don't listen to the polls because I just, you know, we've been um, disappointed in the past. So... There was a red wave, but there was no red tsunami. I think that the Republicans, they are absolutely going to be taking back the House. I'm excited to see what they do with that. But the Senate, it remains up for grabs. You have to win two more seats. And I don't think we're going to know, know until December what happens in the Senate because it's going to end up being the runoff in Georgia. And, you know, Katie, just the whole premise of this uh, little powwow that happened, you know, educating Hispanic voters. By the way, did they refer to them Hispanic or Latinx, um, which always sounds like a, a spinoff of the X-Men comic book series that Marvel Comics produces? Because I've never met a Latino or a Latina that has embraced Latinx, but that's a story for another time. I mean, <clears throat> this idea of um, choosing... Uh, certain nationalities, certain races. I mean, were were they? Did they have a seminar to teach black people how to vote, Asian people, for that matter, white people how to vote? I mean, it seems just so preposterous to me. And you got to wonder 
is the real agenda here. We see more and more Hispanics drifting away from the Democrats and voting Republican. Uh, the Democrats consider the Hispanic vote their turf. So is that is this what's happening, really, that there's like a re-engineering going on to bring them back to the Democratic Party? <clears throat> Yeah, um, I actually t looked at the event and said, this seems a little racist to me. You have to drive <laughs> with free tamales. I mean, why couldn't it be a pizza party? It seemed very targeted towards the Hispanic community. And like you said, there is a huge shift. Uh, the mo more, re more Hispanics and black voters voted Republican uh, th this midterm elections than ever have. And we saw that happen in Florida the governor Ron DeSantis, he flipped Miami Dade County, which is seventy percent uh, Hispanics. Yeah, he flipped and yeah, we haven't Republicans haven't won that county in I believe thirty years. And so the fact that the Hispanic community they are well on board. These are people that have escaped their countries to come to America for freedom, and they see that, that the Democratic Party is a. Uh, the American values that they came here for. So that is why the, the Hispanic community voted alongside Republicans th this time around. No, indeed. And, you know, why don't we look at the election uh, as a whole, uh, Katie, what happened on Tuesday night? I'll give you my take, and I want to hear what your take is. i got to tell you, for the last several weeks, you kept hearing red wave, red wave, and then it got upgraded to red tsunami, a red tsunami, right? And certainly, as someone who's conservative, you want to see that happen. But I was cringing at these predictions because, hey, guys, uh, as the old saying goes, don't count your eggs before they're hatched. And I think when there is this mindset out there, oh, it's a slam dunk, it's in the bag, what you have, and I think, you know, given the voter turnout, I think there's some substance to uh, my prediction, uh, Katie, that you have someone, you know what, I got to take the kid to soccer practice. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the polling stage, uh, the polling station. You know, it's going to be a red wave. It's going to be a red tsunami. What does my one vote mean? And you know what? This is the thing, Katie. Once you start going by the premise that it's in the bag, well, I got news for you. It falls out of the bag really quickly. What do you say? Oh, I totally agree with you. That's why I said in the beginning, I don't go off of the polls because I think, yeah, yes, there was a red wave and that, that was in the polls predictions. But the red tsunami, like, like you mentioned, I think that liberal media and Democrat politicians were playing up the red tsunami as much as yes. they could to <clears throat> deter Republicans from coming out to vote, thinking that they, like you said, they had it in the bag. And so I think that Republicans did turn out and there are elections. They are still shady. I mean, why don't we have Arizona counted yet? And when in Arizona, when they went up in the controversial county of Maricopa, they, the polls were down. They were down for, um, almost all day until the evening. And so Republicans, they show up on election day. Democrats vote early by mail-in ballot. Republicans, if you can vote in person, they show up on election day to vote. And so, you know, there was no red tsunami. I knew that there wasn't going to be a red tsunami. And that is why you still have to mobilize the Republican base. But also, nothing, I don't think anything in this country is going to change until election integrity laws get implemented. And that is what, that is why Florida had the red wave, 
had the red tsunami. They were the only state that had I mean, because Governor DeSantis did a great job getting voter integrity laws. He blocked the, the Biden administration's attorney general from entering the, the voting polls. And we saw um, greatest red tsunami in the history of America in Florida. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Katie, hopefully all the analysts out there and like even the likes of Newt Gingrich, I believe he made a prediction of the Republicans winning 56 Senate seats. That's not going to happen. Um, maybe for the next election cycle, uh, let's not make predictions like it's a, a football game. Uh, let's just say I hope for this, but, you know, don't pretend anything is written in stone. But we got to look at the, the, you know, the plus side, um, at least heading toward uh, the 2024 presidential election, Katie. I understand uh, in the House, there were something like 20 incumbent Democrats that won by far less than 5%. And of course, when we looked at Florida, wow, that was a bloodbath uh, for the Democrats. I know a week in politics can be an eternity. So two years from now, that's multiple and infinite eternities. But how do you see this playing out the next two years? What do you think we're going to see come 2024, Katie? That is a great question. I think that the, the Republicans, they won back the House this this time. I think that is what it's going to be. And it's, I think things are going to get really exciting. The, they plan to retire House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. That is going to be one of the biggest accomplishments. But they're also going to start looking into... President Biden and Hunter Biden's shady foreign business dealings. So we're actually going to start seeing them go after the Biden administration because they will have a majority in doing so. If the Republicans do end up winning back the Senate, you know, at extra bonus point, we'll actually be able to go after the Biden administration and we'll hold them to account. But come 2024, you know, you saw Re Republican Governor Ron DeSantis have an amazing win in Florida, but then you also have former President Donald Trump. He is going to make his announcement on November 15th, but after Governor DeSantis' win, he is kind of going, he's posting on social media, kind of slandering Governor DeSantis, and that is not going to fly over with DeSantis' base and a lot of Republicans and independent voters because DeSantis actually won over a lot of the independent voters. Trump uh, slamming DeSantis over well for him. So, I think primaries for Republicans are going to be very crazy. And I think if Trump is the nominee, which most likely will probably be um, the situation, I think that 2024 is going to make 2020 look like a little kid's party. And one last question, uh, Katie. I mean, when I look at American politics, as much as I loathe the Democrats, I will give them this. They play as a team. Everybody yeah. is on board pulling the same direction. When I look at the Republican Party, there are all these factions. There is so much infighting. Um, I mean, the fact that uh, George Bush, Jeb Bush, they didn't even come out and support any candidates uh, in the midterms, you know, which I found really weird. You've got talk now of if DeSantis is the candidate in 2024. I mean, I'm monitoring American talk radio and I hear people going, well, Trump should form the MAGA party because that's who I'm going to vote for. I'm loyal to Donald Trump. If that scenario happens, that's Christmas Day on steroids for the Democrats because uh, that will clearly split the vote. Maybe is there a lesson here in terms of the red tsunami not materializing 
that the Republicans need to get their house in order. They need to be one cohesive team, much like the Democrats are. Yeah, there's no time for infighting. We need to be united because I our entire country is at stake, our constitution, and if we can't, if the Republican Party can't get get it together, then we're going to lose our country. You know, I, going into midterms, I looked at midterms as this was kind of our last shot, because you see what the Biden administration did in two years, absolutely destroyed a, a lot of our nation, inflation, borders, high crime. They're making people dependent on the government, which is exactly what the Democrat Party wants. So this was really our last chance. To, as the Republican side to be united and start fighting back. Unfortunately, we, I think we're going to fall up a little short since still up for grabs on the House. But if Republicans can't get behind the nominee and if it is Trump and the anti-Trumpers and the Trump derangement syndrome Republicans, the rhinos, if they can't see what, what they're doing and helping the Democrat Party, then I think that the Democrats 2024 will just be handed to them. And Katie, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you the most important question of all. How did those tamales taste? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, they're good. Yeah, they're really good. And, you know, I think that a Hispanic actually made them. So that's probably why they were extra good. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, uh, Katie, great job on that undercover work. It really uh, peeled back a a layer of the onion skin to see how these organizations operate. And thank you so much for your analysis on what happened on Tuesday. Thank you, David. You got it. And that was Katie Davis Court in Seattle, Washington. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Why do you say that? Because you're a f***ing bunch of right-wing trolls. F*** y'all. Hi, sir. I'm just trying to make sense of your sight. Oh, really? You don't talk to fascists? Who would the fascists be here? You, rebel dude. We're fascists. Cupy, that's the, the plant-eating dinosaur, right? Yeah. You know they're far right. Oh, what does far right mean, sir? It's all, but turn the map upside down and which way is up? Okay, just letting you know. Yeah. There's been an intervention by Mr. Dressup. In your sign here, what is eco-socialism? To your scab reactionary fascistic media, so get get lost. How am I a scab by uh, doing journalism on the lawns of Queen's Park, sir? Yeah, that's it. So, We're done. Hey, how's it going? I said Oh, that's that's not very ladylike. You can have nothing. Go away. Well, that's not very communist of you. I thought it's all about sharing the wealth. Just go away. Can you say sentence without using profanity? Yeah, you, you right wing asshole. I don't think he understood the question. Yeah, I did. You. You. Why? Why you like that? You. So, folks, how do you like those education workers? So keen to utter profanity and flip the bird, and yet so completely unable to articulate their actual positions. What lovely role models for our children, indeed. In any event, you had plenty to say about these striking scholars who descended upon Queen's Park last Friday. 
CDXX writes, CUPE marched against us truckers in Ottawa during the convoy. They now want us to support them while their freedoms are being stripped. Isn't that rich? Oh, I agree. The chutzpahs off the charts. And while CUPE whines that it was offside for the Doug Ford PCs to invoke the notwithstanding clause in, in terms of declaring the latest education workers strike illegal, they could barely contain their glee when Prime Minister Blackface McGroper invoked the Emergencies Act to shut down a peaceful protest. Wow, what a double standard. Louis Sasbo writes, After refusing to teach our children for the last two years, and now they want more money to do what? Not teach them for another two years? We are going through horrific trying times, and now they decide to hold our kids for ransom again. They get pretty damn good pay compared to most jobs, and they definitely get more time off than any other profession. Part-timers make $39,000 per year, a great pension, benefits up the wahoo, and it is never enough. Makes me sick to my stomach. You know, well said, Lewis, and don't forget that before classes were skewered due to COVID-19 the past two years, Ontario teachers were in work-to-rule mode during 2019 into 2020. And thank you for pointing out the most egregious propaganda being promoted by QP that some education workers are earning $39,000 a year. Hey, I could never get by living in the GTA on a 39K a year salary. But that number refers to part-time, not full-time work. And even the part-timers get gold-plated benefits and a lofty pension. So what exactly is QP's position? That part-timers should receive full-time salaries? These public sector unionists are beyond delusional. Jeff Taylor writes, <clears throat> The amount of increase that these unions demand is insane. Taxpayers will pay and pay and pay until there's nothing left to give. Indeed, Jeff, public sector unionists feel that the taxpayer trough is bottomless. It is not, as Ontario's debt clearly indicates. And what the hell happened to Doug Ford? On Friday, he was invoking the spirit of Ronald Reagan circa 1981. That's when the late great President Reagan issued an ultimatum to some 11,000 air traffic controllers to either get back to work or you're fired. And it was not a hollow threat. And so many of those air traffic controllers were indeed fired 48 hours later. But on Friday, Premier Ford invoked the notwithstanding clause, making the QP strike illegal. And massive daily fines were also threatened. But by Monday, Premier Ford caved. He withdrew the notwithstanding clause. He said, quote, I don't want to fight, end quote. Premier Ford, you are no Ronald Reagan. Indeed, you have a spine that is softer than weak old cherry cheesecake. Sulkinar writes, aren't these the same guys who supported mandatory jabs and did nothing for members who refused? Oh, you are correct, Sulkinar, and these people also subscribe to the mantra, my body, my choice. But alas, as we've discovered, that seems to apply only to terminating a baby's life as opposed to refusing to being jabbed with an experimental vaccine. <laughs> what a world. 
Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. Have yourselves a fantastic weekend. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night. <laughs>